Looking for work, better pay, better work environment? We can help. Call Kelly Jobs today at 502-425-7131 to speak with a recruiter today. Score a better job with us. Call 502-425-7131 or visit kellyjobs.com. That's kellyjobs.com. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Time now for Dan Issel and Louis Rabot, right here on ESPN 680 and 1057. Now, here's Dan and Louis. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. We hope you get to spend today with someone you love, or in Avery's case, someone for whom you may be planning an untimely ending. After all, it is True Crime Tuesday. This is Issel and Louie, ESPN 680-105.7. Louie is on vacation this week. Sitting in for Louie today is our good friend from the Lexington Herald-Leader, Mr. Cam Drummond. Cam, how are you this morning? Doing good. Absolute honor to be on with you, Dan. I mean, usually when I see you, you're down at the court at Rupp Arena, and I'm sitting what, 200 feet in the sky watching a Kentucky basketball game. So it's nice to be uh, somewhat closer to your level today. But, but no, truly an honor. Thank you so much for having me again. I guess I didn't embarrass myself too much the first time I was on last week with Louie. So happy to be back. Good, good. We're, ha- we're happy to have you. Wasn't that a great night, Friday, uh, Saturday before last, when, uh, when Mike's jersey was retired? Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, the, the speech you gave at, at halftime as, as part of the ceremony, you getting to, to come out and be the why was awesome to see. You know, I, I made the joke earlier about being you know 200 feet in the sky where the media seats are at Rep Arena, but you could still see your smile beaming You know, when you got that opportunity to speak, when you got the opportunity to be honored as the why. Um, I mean, just, just a great night overall. And you know, for Kentucky's sake, at least also it came with a win. So yes. better for that to have happened last week than, than maybe the vibes going into this Saturday's game, right? Exactly. Now, when, uh, because I remember when the press had the best seats in the house, how, how long ago was it that you got moved to the upper deck? Well, it certainly predates my time at the Herald-Leader. Uh, from talking to some of the folks who have been around longer, you know, your, your Jerry Tiptons, your Ben Roberts, your John Clays, I think it was maybe, you know, a few years ago, five, six, maybe seven. It, it was before COVID, though, so it's not like this was a, a change in policy after, um, you know, things went, things went a bit haywire with COVID there. So it's been in place where we have this media area kind of on the lower second level of Rupp Arena for like the last five, six, seven years. But but yeah, like you mentioned, I think Jerry used to have basically courtside seats um, to the games. Yeah. And, you know, I've covered a couple of Kentucky women's games there. That was my job before I transitioned into Kentucky men's basketball and, and men's basketball recruiting. I was the, the main Kentucky women's basketball writer. So when the women's team plays its two games a year at Rupp Arena, we have baseline seats right there on the court. You know, sometimes balls are bouncing into your lap and you're having to deflect them away <laughs> off the off the laptops. Got to protect the uh, the key equipment. 
But but yeah, so it's been a few years since we've gotten a real up close, you know, kind of behind the bench look at you know John Calipari or anyone like that. Yeah, for for sure. Well, you mentioned uh, being with the, the the women and being their reporter. Give us give us the Cam Drummond story. Where you grew up, where you went to school, uh, how you got. Now we know you're friends with Jack Grossman, so leave that part out. That won't impress <laughs> anybody. Uh, and and how you got to the to the Herald Leader. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm more than happy to launch to the Cam Drummond origin story. So, born <laughs> born in Dallas, Texas, raised in Plano, Texas, suburb about 25, 30 minutes north of Dallas, depending on how bad traffic is on I-75 at a given moment. Um, but yeah, so I grew up, you know, the entire entirety of my childhood in North Texas. Huge Dallas sports fan. Stars, Cowboys, Mavericks, FC Dallas. I'm a big soccer guy. The whole gauntlet. Uh, and then met Jack as a result of going to school at Indiana University. Uh, neither of my folks are, are from the U.S. Actually, my mom's from Brazil, and my dad's from Scotland. So mm. I didn't really have any kind of, you know, preconceived or, or notions about a college in the U.S. Any kind of ties, you know, like I liked SMU because they played in my backyard was essentially it. Um, but went to Indiana for school just because I knew I wanted to do journalism. And Indiana is not a particularly hard school to get in, if I'm being quite honest. Um, and I was smart enough <laughs> in high school to uh, to get some some decent scholarship money from them. So went there for four years, had an absolute blast in Bloomington 2016 to 2020. Uh, aside from the ending where the global coronavirus pandemic occurred, it was you know the best four years of my life, all that stuff. And then when I got out of school, my first job out of college actually was working in Austin, Texas, as a community news reporter, I was covering this real small area of South Central Texas called Bastrop County, which is about 30 minutes southeast of Austin. And so I was doing, you know, what you think a small town community news reporter does. I was covering city council meetings. I was covering, you know, local county government meetings. I was visiting people on their ranches when they were complaining about companies coming in and buying up their land. I was covering mm. businesses recovering from the pandemic. And, you know, uh, the list goes on and on and on. You know, small town features, you know, police news, a train derails in the county. I got to go cover it. You know, a wildfire happens, et cetera. Um, and I just did that really because I needed a job and, and I had enough chops coming out of school. I was a, both a journalism major and a Spanish minor at IU. So I could kind of handle, you know, maybe pivoting in a different direction than sports. But sports media is what I went to school for, right? It's what I wanted to do, all that stuff. And then so an opportunity came kind of out of the blue just from applying to what seemed like a billion jobs while I was in Austin, where the, the sports editor at the Herald Leader, the great Matt Graff, just emailed me out of the blue one day. I was probably like laying hungover on a couch somewhere. And he was like, hey, you, you interested in, uh, in coming to Lexington? And I was like, yeah, also, where's Lexington? You know, central Kentucky. What is this? You want me to cover horse racing? Okay, sure. Um, so, you know, took a couple of interviews with him, accepted the job at the Herald Leader as the women's basketball reporter and kind of general sports assignment reporter, completely sight unseen. Had never been to Lexington before, but knew I wanted to give sports media a shot, knew I wanted kind of a new adventure, you know, a new opportunity, a new life experience. I also wasn't going to be able to pay my rent in Austin that month, so I was more than happy to go somewhere else <laughs> with cheaper prices to live. And then joined the Herald Leader late July of 21, moved to Lexington in early August of 21, been there ever since, and have had the absolute time of my life ever since. I sure. like if, if you went back in time and told me I'd be hosting a show with Dan Issel on ESPN Louisville, like even two, three years ago, I don't know what I would think, but it's it's been great ever since. So well, we're we're it. happy to have you, and, and thank you. It's it, it's really not the, that big a deal. So. Um, I, I was going to, did you, 
Did you go to the Georgia game? Yes, I was on the ground I thought, there. I thought you did because I, I read the stories that you wrote about the game, and so I, I assumed that you were there. And I wanted to get into that a little bit, of course, uh, talking about U.K. basketball. But Mark's story, I mean, he gave us a great tidbit this morning. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but Mark's story this morning wrote a column kind of comparing Kentucky basketball and the and the slide that they've been on recently to the slide that Indiana has been on ever since Coach Knight left. And so, I mean, Mark killed two birds with one stone. I mean, he got two programs in one column. So having gone to Indiana, I thought you might have a reaction to this. Yeah, it's funny, actually. One of the other editors at the newspaper who I'm friends with saw that story kind of going through the content system that we used last night before it published and sent me a text saying, like, it's going to be very interesting to see what Mark Story's Twitter reactions are when this comes out. <laughs> and then, fortunately, actually, I was able to read it earlier this morning before I headed up, you know, or headed across the state, I guess I should say, here to Louisville. And I already fired it off to Jack Grossman as well, saying that Jack Grossman is not going to like this rational and measured column. He's just going to get <laughs> mad at the Indiana mention. And I haven't checked my text yet, so I hope Jackie is, uh, I hope Jackie Boy is reading that. And, uh, yeah. And reacting, But yeah, as you mentioned there, I do have an interesting perspective on that, having gone to IU and, and now covered Kentucky for, for at least most of a disappointing season. And all the seasons I covered at Indiana were disappointing, frankly. I was there for the end of the Tom Crean era and then the first three years of the Archie Miller era. So really bad basketball basically all the time. And I think there's a lot of salient points to be made. I, I mean, obviously, I don't think Kentucky has fallen into such a state of disrepair as Indiana was for most of the last two decades. They've obviously bounced back in a big way this season and should be making a Sweet 16 at the minimum, probably. But Indiana basketball was just not in the national conscience, right, for two two decades. Just weren't good enough, not making NCAA tournaments. Obviously, they had the violations, you know, kind of cycling through coaches there for a second. Kentucky definitely isn't in that spot yet. I mean, even, even in a down year, they were still, you know, a top seed in the NCAA tournament. You know, it, it took losing to, to St. Peter's to really sour last season. It wasn't like a season-long stretch of, you know, being muddled in, in quicksand and, and not going anywhere with the program. But I think Mark actually offered some really good points in terms of wanting to, like, warning against things that would lead you down the path of an Indiana or down a traditional blue, bu- blue blood path, excuse me, that you know would take you out of national conversations and national equations. Like I remember Indiana going to Duke several times in that Big Ten ACC challenge and just getting walloped, you know, losing by 30, 35 points, completely non-competitive stuff. I was actually at Cameron Indoor for one of those games, I think, in 2017 um, or 2018, I think. But, you know, you want to avoid that. Kentucky is not that far down the rabbit hole yet, but maybe that's, you know, something that you have to keep in mind when you're thinking about what John Calipari's future is, when thinking about how long he wants to stick this out. Does he want to be involved and associated with something that becomes like in Indiana, where they're not even in the conversation for the league title or NCAA tournament berths or any Thing close to to a deep tournament run. I don't know how you read it, but that's what I took yeah. away from it. No, for those for those who haven't seen it, and and Cam, we we try to help pay your salary here. We tell people <laughs> all the time that if you are a Kentucky fan, you have to subscribe uh, to the Herald Leader because I mean the the money that Herald Leader has invested 
in the, in the sports column. I mean, uh, for a, a paper the size of the Herald Leader to have two outstanding columnists, to have uh, writers like Ben and you um, and and Hale that covers football. I mean, it 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 has to be one of the best sports sections in the country in a in a town the size of Lexington. But uh, anyway, to to point out what Mark is saying here, he says over the past 29 years. Indiana has had the same number of losing seasons, five, that they have had single-digit loss seasons, that Indiana hasn't reached uh, the Elite Eight since 2002, and they've only been in the tournament one time in the last six years. Uh, and, and, And he does point out that Kentucky, the last few years, has not been much better. Um, this is a stat that astounded me. Since the start of the 2021 season, Kentucky is now 5-15 and 15 against teams that are ranked in the top 25. That's that, not great. No, that's an amazing stat. 5-15, and 15, the last 20 games against AP top 25 schools. Now, he, he does say, you know that that the comparison is is kind of out of whack because you know Kentucky won the championship in 12. Uh, they were in the lead eight as recently as 19, uh, and then they were in the final four as recently as as 15. But here's the part here's the part where I kind of go away from what Mark is saying, and he start and he talks about Cal and the 40 million dollar buyout and. He says in here that uh, barring a a dramatic turnaround that produces an unexpectedly deep tournament run for Kentucky in 23, I think right now they have to be concerned about even making the tournament. UK Brain Trust, uh, I'm reading there Mitch Barnhart, and Cal need to conduct a thorough off-season review of the program. Uh, and see why it's not living up to expectations. That's something that will never happen. Cal's, Cal's not going to sit down with Barnhart and, and, and talk about what he has to do differently. Uh, I, I, I don't know how, how familiar you are with that relationship, but it, it, I, I don't think it's a good one, and I don't see Cal asking for 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 Barnhart's input yeah that's I was gonna say that relationship is you know firmly in the sub freezing sub-zero temperature territory but 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 to your point there as well about you know coming together and having some kind of kumbaya where you figure out what's wrong with the program you identify it and you fix it first off one of the main things I think people will complain about with John Calipari is just the stubbornness right the lack of willingness to change, whether it's around players, whether it's around playing style, whether it's around, you know, things like program operation. But secondly, you already have the the, the five-player, you know, star-studded recruiting class, top-ranked recruiting class coming in. Even if you wanted to conduct this thorough investigation, which, as you mentioned, probably wouldn't happen, how would you go about trusting, you know, a coach that probably hasn't adapted super well to the evolution of basketball over the last five, ten years, and trusting him to implement that with a bunch of 17- and 18-year-olds coming in who have come in to play in his system or play within the, the Kentucky kind of one-and-done model, right? Like, that almost would create, I think, 
problems on top of problems and things that you already don't maybe anticipate John Calipari being able to solve based on the struggles he's had even this year with by far the most experienced team he's ever had at Kentucky and just the inability to push the correct buttons and the inability to find solutions when things have gone wrong during the course of a season. Yeah, I I mean, I I agree 100%. Now, your your main job now at the Herald-Leader is kind of from the recruiting angle and and the prospects. I can't imagine how much time that takes, uh, you know, to know uh, some three-star from Pocatello, Idaho. I mean, you must spend hours (laughs) researching this thing. But let's talk about this class coming in. Now, some people have reported that this isn't a very strong class um, from top to bottom. Obviously, Kentucky has the number one recruiting class. They have, what, like four guys in the top ten or something. Is there any way, my first question is, is there any way this class falls apart because of the lack of success the program has had this year? Well, things are kind of too far along, at least in most cases for that standpoint. You know, everyone has signed their their national letters of intent. They're intending at least to arrive on campus in Lexington to to try and play for Kentucky, at least, shall we say. Um, So so all of that from that standpoint is is locked and loaded and and ready to go. That being said, you are correct in, in what people have reported and what maybe the common talking points are about this 2023 recruiting class. It is not the best recruiting class that has ever existed. It's not even the best one kind of in this upcoming cycle. The 2025 class is going to be insane. Um, That's going to be really good. The 2024 class is even showing some good flashes. Obviously, Kentucky doesn't have any commits yet in the 2024 class, especially after they missed out on on Ian Jackson, a shooting guard from, from New York City. But the 23 class is not the strongest class. That being said, Kentucky does have four of the top 10, top 11 players in the class, plus Reed Shepard, who's a guy who doesn't really fit the mold of the other four players who will be coming in with the class. You expect Reed Shepard to be a multi-year guy, probably going to play three, four years all at Kentucky, see out his career there, see out all of his eligibility, that kind of stuff. Whereas the others coming in, you know, the Aaron Bradshaw, the DJ Wagner, the Justin Edwards, maybe even the Robert Dillingham, you expect to be more on the one-and-done kind of trajectory. So Kentucky has the most talent of anyone coming in for the 23 recruiting class. That being said, that talent is not necessarily as upper tier or as upper echelon as as you'd maybe like, just because the class doesn't have a ton of depth. Even at the top end, the class is a bit weak compared to some of the future classes. And also, you got to think about what Kentucky might have returning next season to mess with these five new players, plus maybe a transfer or two as well. Who's going to be returning from this year's team? Who do you want to be returning from this year's team? <laughs> right? That might be the more, the more salient question after what we've seen, especially during this recent you know, month, kind of two-month slide in SEC play. Um, and then figuring out how that all gels together, right? And again, that goes back to, to kind of the overarching question, do enough members of the fan base, do people trust John Calipari to be able to get all these ingredients in one big pot, stir it up, add the correct season, and, and you know, produce a good super gumbo or whatever your, your liquid broth is of choice at the end? Um, and I think that confidence has obviously significantly waned since 
the last, what, three, four years when Kentucky last won an NCAA tournament game, obviously, obviously since the St. Peter's game, and more to the point, during the course of this season, when Kentucky has lost so many games that you wouldn't ever expect them to lose, South Carolina at home, or games that they could not afford to lose, Georgia on the road, which I was at on Saturday. Yep. Yeah, um, that that brings up a couple of questions. Uh, first, I want what what in I have said, Cam, that there is something not right about this team, and I can't put my finger on it. I mean, it because it's so inconsistent. One game it's the defense, one game it's the offense. Maybe one half it's the defense, and the next half it's the offense. Maybe it's the coaching. I mean, John Calipari is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he didn't forget how to coach. Um, in, in your estimation, what what has gone wrong with this, this year's team, who was uh, a preseason a top five team in the country and now is life and death to make the tournament? Well, let me start by accepting responsibility for my role in all this, considering that when I was at Indiana, I covered three teams, and the best of those teams made the NIT third round. And then I switched over to the women's beat at Kentucky. I was able to see them win an SEC tournament, which was great. But then they lose to an Ivy League school in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So I legitimately think that I'm like It's cursed. the Cam Drummond kiss of death. Yeah, you guys can start branding it as that. You know, I'll be the fall guy. That's fine. As long as my salary's paid, I can handle it. As long as you can pay that rent next week. Right, yeah, as long as that cash checks, or, or yeah, or check cashes, I should say. Yeah, like... Completely put it on me. Got it. But but I think you're right about there's a clear disconnect and you're starting to see it more just in kind of the interactions between the coaching staff and players, maybe in between players themselves, in between what's said when we interview them after games in the media as well. Like there were moments on Saturday at, at Stegman Coliseum where you were seeing players and coaches kind of having little mini arguments or little back and forth sessions on the bench, you know, things that don't signify cohesion that don't signify togetherness and and I think part of that is just the general frustration of Kentucky knowing that they have a bunch of good individual players Kentucky knowing that they have these high preseason expectations but also Kentucky knowing that they have not lived up to them in any way this season and it's almost like nobody can figure out how to make it click on a consistent basis to correct things but I remember Mm. there was one moment in the game on Saturday where Jacob Toppin got taken out of the game by Cal. Cal yells his little piece at Toppin. Toppin says something kind of back. Toppin sits down. Bruiser Flint comes over, gives Toppin an absolute earful. Toppin checks back into the game, is super switched on for the next one, two minutes. Very active, crashing the glass, grabbing rebounds, facilitating the ball. And then there are moments where that just completely goes away in the second half. It's like each individual player in Kentucky as a team can't sustain the focus, the energy. I asked Oscar Shibwe after the game, what you know? why is Kentucky still having simple execution errors on both ends of the court this late into the season and he just talked about having to trust the coaches having to fight you know having to to find ways to come together as a team I asked Antonio Reeves the same thing and and Antonio Reeves is a player that's really shown up actually during this last little stretch he's had I think 10 of 11 games double digit scoring scored 20 again for the sixth time this season against Georgia but I asked Antonio Reeves hey why are there so many execution errors on both ends of the court? It's mid-February. Like, what's going on with this? He took about a five-second pause and said, like, he couldn't identify it. Right. I mean, that's just one of the things. Like, I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. They don't know the answer. And if they do, if they do know the answer, they're not telling us it. 
um, that's not a great position to be in for a team that's fighting for your NCAA tournament life. You know, you're expecting yeah. you're expecting yeah. a team to make the tournament to have progressions to show progress that would lead you to that kind of north star end goal, and they haven't done that on any kind of a consistent basis this season. I I, I said yesterday the the only thing that I can see, and and it's and and I'll use one demonstration. No, no, I'm going to use two demonstrations. They they run they being Georgia run the high pick and roll with Oscar, which everybody is doing, and they're not even being discreet about it. They'll they'll tell you Oscar can't guard the pick and roll, so that's what we're going to run. Uh, but there was one, uh, and they did it a couple of times where Oscar smothers the 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 man guarding the ball handler goes over the top of the screen. Oscar smothers the ball handler, and so he can't. He has no vision. He can't see the man rolling to the basket. And you say, oh, they finally figured it out. They've got it now. And then the very next possession, the man guarding the ball handler goes under the screen, and he stops and hits a three-point shot. And, and, and the other example is, uh, you know, they were trying to double-team the low post. And then all of a sudden, nobody double teams the low post, and the guy scores over Oscar. What's uh, was it? Uh, Bridges is that who who had the big second half? I think you may be right there. Yeah, I don't have the box for, score right in front of me. Georgia, but, I think yeah. it was Bridges. Anyway, uh, so yesterday I said maybe it's this team just doesn't have a very high basketball IQ that they don't they don't really understand what the coaches are telling them at least they don't do it on a uh on a regular basis so i i I don't know that's the only thing i can come up with yeah and i'll share another example as well i think it was a critical late game basket that georgia had as well and john calipari kind of walked us through this in one of the four questions he so graciously gave us uh, the time to answer (laughs) after the game sorry to interrupt you no please you know we, we can tell i don't have to look at the score i can look at the sound bites uh, after the game, and if if the sound bites go a minute and a half, two minutes, I know Kentucky won. If the sound bites go eighteen seconds, I know it didn't work. It didn't work out well. The, one, one, one of the things I'm responsible for at the Herald Leader after every Kentucky game is like a John Calipari Q and A transcript, essentially, like everything right. John Calipari yep. said after whatever. Yep. And so the ones the last couple of games, Arkansas and Georgia, have been some of the shortest of the year. And I was comparing <laughs> that the other day, like word count wise, to like South Carolina State or Florida A&M, or Duquesne, or, you know, insert bad non-conference team at home. It's like you could stack some of these on top of each other, and they wouldn't equal what it was after the Howard game, you know? I, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. You were you said his uh, his post-game comments. No, please. Yeah, yeah, John Calipari was walking us through one play late in the game that Georgia scored. It might have been a, a three-pointer that they hit maybe right around a minute left that kind of, you know, pushed the game over the edge or took Kentucky away from direct touching distance. But Kentucky was supposed to trap Georgia's big man along the baseline. They were supposed to send a double, trap, deny kind of a pass out of that situation. I believe it was Oscar Shebray was late to it or didn't read it correctly. So anyway, they don't trap the guy on the baseline, gets kicked out for an open three-pointer. Georgia makes it. That kind of ends up being a real pivotal moment of the game. Or even if you think back to, I think it was the 330 mark of the game, Kentucky is coming out of a media timeout and commits a shot clock violation down three. Yeah. And I'm not sure if they yeah. even got to down three the rest of the game from that point on. But regardless, like execution errors like that, things that you cannot have happen this late into the season 
in a game at Georgia, even if Xavier Wheeler's out, even if C.J. Frederick's out. This is inexcusable stuff to happen, and it's happening, and nobody can put a finger on why it's happening, or even more to the point, players are just breaking down in crucial late-game situations. And for the most experienced Kentucky team in the history of John Calipari's time as head Mm. coach— that mm-hmm. is like a real damning thing to think about, that the most experienced team, the most veteran team, you would figure the team with the biggest chip on its shoulder post-St. Peter's loss isn't able to get it done in crunch time at Georgia. Yeah, and, and you, there's one stat that I pointed out yesterday that just shows you uh, Kentucky's uh, lack of aggression on offense and uh, and the and really not being able to guard anybody on defense. Georgia, who I, I believe Cam had lost five out of their last six. Is that correct? I believe they they were coming off what a, a home loss to Ole Miss, perhaps. Ole Miss, yeah. Which yeah. Kermit Davis yeah. is doing a great job at Ole Miss. Can't say that enough. Right, right. But but the stat I wanted to point out was Kentucky was called for twenty three fouls. And Georgia only 16 fouls, which resulted in a 14-point difference from the free throw line. Now you can't you can't afford to give an opponent an opponent 14 more made free throws and expect to win any game. One one of the wildest stats just over the course of this entire Kentucky season is that Kentucky is one of the worst teams in the country when it comes to opponents' free throw percentage. Now, there's not really much you can do about that, aside from not fouling guys. But I, I believe I read the stat from the game notes. I think Kentucky is like 340th in the country or something in that area when it comes to opponent free throw percentage. So anytime Kentucky fouls opponents, they're usually making almost all of the foul shots. So really, that you know, if nothing else, that should be a message to, to your team about the importance of not fouling, the importance of the free throw disparity, especially when you think about Kentucky being a poor free throw shooting team over the course of the season. Season, right like those points have added up to such a significant amount Kentucky I'm sure has lost two three games just solely based on Kentucky not being able to make its free throws the other team making its free throws or just that big disparity like you alluded to there when it comes to giving another team 14 more chances to score points yeah yeah um Cal brought up a, a Cam, Cal Cam brought up a, a a couple of interesting points that I want to get to in the next segment. Uh, number one, who who does Cam expect to be back next year from this year's team, and how many games do we have to win out of the next six to really have a shot at the NCAA tournament? This is Issel and Louie on ESPN 680 105.7. First hour of the show brought to you by Kentucky Tourism. When you're ready to explore the outdoors, there's no better place than the Bluegrass State. Hike, bike, paddle, fish, or even venture deep underground, this is Kentucky. Plan that summer getaway today at KentuckyTourism.com. This segment with Dan Issel and Louis Rabot is presented by KentuckyTourism.com. And welcome back. 
This is Issel and Louie, and we are brought to you by KentuckyTourism.com. Louie is on vacation this week. Sitting in today is our good friend Cam Drummond from the Lexington Herald-Leader. Cam, I'm not a big social media guy, but I know you have uh, Twitter accounts and what, what... what information can you put out there for our listeners that where they can find your stuff? Information that sounds so formal. It's like I'm giving out my social security number over the air or something. Um, but <laughs> just, just the last four digits. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, in that case, that's that's no problem. Um, but yeah, everyone, you want to follow me on Twitter? It's at c d r u m m o n d nine seven. That's c drummond ninety seven on Twitter. Uh, that's probably all you need to know. Okay. Uh, I'm not on TikTok, not a TikTok guy. Uh, don't really do anything on Instagram that's worthy of work. I did get a Letterboxd last night, though, which is like a social media app to review movies. So if anyone wants to follow me on Letterboxd and see what movies I watch, you can do that mm. as well. Mm. Have you seen A Man Called Otto yet? No, I haven't. Have you? Uh, you're you're a little young. You probably wouldn't appreciate that. Well, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 an old soul at heart, Dan. I, yeah. I feel well, offended. Go by see that. a man called Otto. All right, I'll uh, mark it down. It's it's an old man movie. <laughs> you know, I heard I heard that uh, ad during the break for Egg Eggland Eggland Best. Have Have you been grocery shopping lately, Cam? I actually haven't because I knew I was going to be going down. I, Ahead of going down to cover Kentucky, Georgia this weekend, I actually spent a few days in Atlanta. Uh, got to see former ESPN 680 legend Jack Grossman, watch the Super Bowl with him. But I was down in Atlanta for a few days doing a bit of recruiting stuff, hanging out with the folks at Overtime Elite, which is where Robert Dillingham plays. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, doing some, doing some features on that, getting some intel. Uh, they were super accommodating, great people down down there at OTE, but yeah, to, to the question at hand, no, I actually haven't been grocery shopping, and I'm, yeah, don't, I'm in dire need of it. Yeah, don't go, don't go. <laughs> we we were uh, we we've been in Kentucky for about uh, ten or eleven days, and so we got home Saturday night. The cupboard was bare, so Sherry went grocery shopping yesterday, and I about fell off the couch when I saw what groceries cost. But speaking about the Eggland ad. A dozen eggs yesterday in Denver, Colorado, over eight bucks. Okay, I I got a bone to pick with this, and I've been complaining about this to Jack and basically anyone else who will listen as well. I don't think eggs cost that much money. At least in Lexington, they don't cost that much money. The last time I bought eggs, it was like a dozen eggs, maybe $4, maybe $4.50. That's a fair price for eggs. I think that's a reasonable price for eggs. Maybe I'm in the ginormous minority. I just had to say that. Eight bucks. That's a bit high. You can almost buy a 12-pack of beer for eight bucks. Well, then you got to just think about your priorities. Do you want the beer or the (laughs) eggs? I know which side I'm siding on. Yeah. Well, if my friends out at Buckler Farm are listening, we're getting in the chicken business real soon. Real soon. (laughs) All right. I I wanted to uh, explore. You brought up something. Dillingham, I mean, is he a lock to come to Kentucky playing in that? In that, uh, in that league that he's playing in? Yeah, so basically there's a couple different pathways that this overtime elite thing works. Yes. And without yes. going too far in the weeds, the three main pathways are guys who are there, who are NBA draft eligible right now, who are going to go and they're prepping for the NBA draft. The best example would be the two Thompson twins, who are both going to be lottery picks in this year's draft. There's another pathway of players who aren't draft eligible yet, but they're getting a salary. So because they're getting a salary, they've forego- they've chosen to forego their college eligibility, right? They can't play at an NCAA school because they're getting 
$50,000 a year from Overtime Elite to play basketball or whatever. And the final bucket of player, which is where Dillingham falls in, are players that are not receiving a salary. They have an agreement lined up to where they can make NIL money, but they're not taking a direct salary from Overtime Elite, which means they are able to preserve their college eligibility, which is what the track that Dillingham's on, which is why he went through the whole college basketball recruiting process, which is why he was able to sign his national letter of intent to come to Kentucky, and which is why I believe expectation is that he'll be in Kentucky sometime in the late spring, maybe even as early as May um, before the summer. Uh, We actually were able to to talk with Dillingham, not not on the record, but just a brief chat, like a hello meet and greet thing after Friday night's game between Dillingham's team called the Cold Hearts and the team with the two Thompson twins, the the projected lottery picks called City Reapers. But yeah, so plan is for Dillingham to come to Kentucky. He's eligible to do that because of the, the way that he's worked out his NIL stuff with Overtime Elite and should be in Lexington uh, by May, he hopes. Got it. Got it. Okay, let, let's uh, let's look at the roster, at the current roster, with all this uh, quote-unquote talent coming in next year. Uh, what what players now, Fredericks and Reeves, they're done, right? They're, they're out of eligibility. I actually, I don't, I mean, I would say don't quote me on this, but I'm saying it over sports talk radio, so I guess it's inherently a quote. <laughs> But I think C.J. Frederick actually may have one more year of eligibility. I'm, I'm not positive on that just because of COVID year and because of the you know medical redshirt with an injury. Um, not sure if he would take it. Not sure if you know he would be able to take it at Kentucky. You know if that's something that gets worked out. Um, and for, for Reeves, I, I believe Reeves should be able to come back because of you know the COVID really? year as well. That being said, I'm not sure if he. I mean, would his stock ever be higher than now, given the fact that he's displayed the ability to score yeah. at the college level? Yeah, it looks like he should be he should be able to come back, I believe, because he was a freshman in 2019-2020. This is unbelievable to me. I got to play 83 games at Kentucky. These guys are playing 183 games. Now. Well, well, I've been curious about this actually as someone who obviously didn't play in an era that had a season that was kind of given back to you because of a global pandemic. If you had the option to come back for a fifth year, would you have? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Cam, I've told people I was blessed to play 25 years of organized basketball, starting in the seventh grade through 15 years of, as a pro. Without a doubt, the four favorite years out of the 25 were the four years I was at Lexington. You know, and you didn't make any, you didn't make that much money. I mean, my salary, now I got, you know, a car and a club, a country club membership and all that stuff. My salary the first year with the Colonels was $40,000. So it wasn't like, you know, I was going to make, I was going to get rich going to play professional basketball. I would have come back to Kentucky in a heartbeat. I'm thinking about how that $40,000 salary, irrespective of the the car and the country club membership, was already more than I made for my first job in Austin. So (laughs) you had it pretty good back then, Dan. (laughs) You know, history has blessed that kind of salary, uh, you know, inflation, yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, was, I, was happy to, I was happy to get it. Well, now you blew my whole premise. I guess everybody can come back next year if they want to, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, if they want to. I mean, obviously, there's not going to be enough room, right, for, for the new players to come in and coexist if every single player on the team came back. Um, I don't think you have to probably worry about Brennan Canada coming back, even though he is on scholarship now, um, just because he's probably going to move on, I would assume. But yeah, obviously, Casey Wallace will go to the NBA. Lottery He'll pick. be a lottery pick. You know, he's, yep. It was funny enough, actually, at the Georgia game on Saturday, 
I believe the Clippers, the Los Angeles Clippers, had their director of scouting, their scouting director, whatever that title is, at the game. And there were also a couple, you know, kind of NBA draft centric analysts, people at the game. And I believe one of the main reasons they were there was to scout and watch Case and Wallace. So, yeah, that didn't work out too well. Yeah, unfortunate that that was the game that that Case and had yeah. in front of them. But obviously, the body of work that he's had over the course of the season has been more than good enough to be will or be be worthy of the lottery pick that that he will likely be. But yeah, I mean, when you look at the players and think about who will likely come back, who maybe will come back, who will probably not come back. I mean, Oscar Shebray is probably someone that a lot of people have penciled in as leaving, whether that's to go to the NBA and get drafted, get undrafted, do something overseas. I don't think too many people are counting on him coming back, at least at the outset of the season. Uh, You know, Chris Livingston is maybe kind of one of those tweener guys where he hasn't had the most remarkable freshman season, but he's got the exact body type, the exact athletic profile, the exact size of what fits the modern NBA, and you think maybe in more of a modern basketball NBA system, they could get a lot more out of him than they have at Kentucky. You know, Antonio Reeves, like I mentioned, maybe someone who's kind of on the bubble. C.J. Frederick, if he does have that extra year that I mentioned earlier, maybe someone who's on the bubble. Jacob Toppin, I think, kind of fits right into that Antonio, or not Antonio Reeves, excuse me, fits into that Chris Livingston mold, where he's had his flashes, he's shown the good things. I don't know how much he would benefit from coming back to Kentucky, because I don't know what else he can do at the college level that changes what people think about his ceiling or his profile as a professional basketball player. Well, I'm going to interrupt you, but you made the point just a few minutes ago, and that is what he has to do is he he has to prove Cam. I mean, you're absolutely right, and I said a couple weeks ago, I thought with his athleticism and the games he was having – I, I thought he was playing himself into being a, a, a second-round draft pick. Mm-hmm. I, I really did. But you've got to see it from the opening tip-off until the game is over. And and I haven't seen that in one game yet this year from, from the young man. Yeah, well, well that being said, I, I think NBA executives and scouting departments can pretty easily talk themselves into potential, right? Can talk themselves into a guy as no long as he has question. the athleticism, the body. Okay, come into our system. You know, we can mold you into the kind of player we want you to be. We can take this, tap into it probably, frankly, do a better job than Kentucky has and John Calipari has on a game-to-game basis of getting this out of a player. And also maybe part of it, too, is is just the the malaise of being on Kentucky this season. I mean, that probably doesn't speak great for anyone's like resiliency and ability to, to battle through adversity and stuff. But also, I mean, it's pretty easy to, to talk yourself into, hey, Kentucky's having a really down year. The vibes are really bad in Lexington. You know, maybe this kid kind of checked out, or maybe that explains away some of the poor performances or the lack of consistency. And obviously, that's not going to be tolerated, and you can't get away with that at the next level. But, you know, when you're thinking about prospects, someone who's built like Jacob Toppin, who has the athleticism of Jacob Toppin, doesn't come around every single draft cycle or doesn't come around super often. That being said, to your point, if he hasn't shown it consistently at Kentucky in an SEC league that has been disappointing this year compared to what expectations were, why would you take the swing on that player in the draft or as an undrafted free agent or whatever you would do? Yeah, I, and and you make a great point about potential. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, a list came out of the top college players uh, in the country, and there were only two freshmen on the list. And then the mock draft came out right behind it, 
and there wasn't an upperclassman in <laughs> in the lottery round. So it it's all about potential, and that's why, to be quite honest, that's why there are four, maybe even five guys on this Kentucky roster that would get drafted, in my opinion, if they come out, that would get drafted in front of Oscar because there is no potential with Oscar. I mean, uh, Oscar's proved what he can do, and it's not a game that equates to the way the game is played in the NBA. So uh, that that's for sure. So um, uh, who who oh, who how how many scholarships? How many of these guys, given the, given the number of people that are coming in next year, how many of these guys of the current roster could come back? I mean, you have to look at who's leaving and who's coming back, but I think. You know, let's let's go through this real quick. Um, I guess you probably expect Xavier Wheeler to move on as well, then, right? Yes, yes, it's time for Xavier to move on. And then, so so you're looking at a lot of, and especially the thing about next year's Kentucky team as well is, even if you project several members of this year's team to return, a lot of them will still be younger players, sophomores, maybe juniors, but also players that maybe didn't have a huge role this season or a huge role on a game to game basis. Like I'm thinking about Nadu Thiero, who played against Georgia significant minutes, hasn't played significant minutes on a consistent basis in SEC play, and honestly looked a bit lost at times against Georgia. And that's not really his fault he's thrown into a bad situation he's also not a backup point guard and Kentucky was having to use him as a backup point guard at you know at times a backup shooting guard but so you're looking at a Duthiero coming back a Damian Collins obviously has gone through a lot this season but someone who is only now starting to become comfortable in the role of playing six to eight minutes a game eight to ten minutes a game and has looked good in those moments but also like on Saturday, battled foul trouble, wasn't able to be a consistent presence alongside an Oscar Shibway, you know, in terms of scoring, in terms of production. You know, you keep going down through the list. I, I think the only crooked number he had on the stat sheet was the personal fouls. <laughs> <laughs> you look at like in Uganda and Yensu, who showed flashes in non-conference play, it became pretty apparent that he's not ready yet for SEC play, whether that's from a speed of the game standpoint kind of a basketball awareness standpoint his body just needs to fill out more right he needs to be getting stronger Lance Ware who who John Calipari will be quick to tell you is the you know one of the smartest guys on the team can be a coach one day if, if he wants to go that route that sort of thing but also not a consistent player on a game-to-game basis right so if you're Kentucky you're almost hoping I think that you get at least maybe one kind of veteran or experienced backcourt player coming back maybe something kind of like that in the front court area that's probably where they're gonna have to go in the transfer portal to find an experienced player, especially if you're thinking that a Toppin might leave and a Shibwe might leave as well, because that's going to be a lot of players coming in who are either young and new to college basketball or players who are still young and don't have the built-up college basketball experience or acumen really to guide some of these younger players through the process in the same way that maybe a Savir Wheeler has helped out a Case in Wallace this season. You know, yeah. or Jacob Toppin has helped out a Chris Livingston this season. So all yeah. of a sudden, that becomes a lot of young players coming into a system that didn't work with experienced players this year, and major concerns exist if the guy leading it can kind of rekindle that freshman magic, that freshman young player, you know, starring role type of team that's centered around one guy. Well, in the, the time we have left in this segment, I, I'd like to get your opinion. Kentucky has six games left, and um, I, given the way that they've played recently, 
I, I don't feel good about any of these games. Maybe Vandy at home. Maybe Vandy? But, well, I guess Vandy did just beat Tennessee, right? They're on a bit of a heater right now. Yeah, and Florida at yeah. Florida. And so, um, I, you know, M- Mississippi State just beat Arkansas, a team that humbled Kentucky in the second half. Beat him in Fayetteville, uh, too, on the road. It, yeah, yeah. And and then they have Tennessee on Saturday. They have they go to Florida, have Auburn at home, Vandy at home, and then they have to go to Fayetteville for the last game of the year. In your opinion, and I and I know how they do in the SEC tournament will matter, but that never seems to be much of a priority for Cal. How many of these six games the left does Kentucky have to win? Uh, to make the NCAA tournament? Well, I think that's kind of a two-pronged question, so I'll take a two-pronged approach to it. First off is which games do they win, right? Like, you can't just say they're going to win three of the six or four of the six and not be specifying or it not mattering who the opponent is and where it takes place because that matters a ton. Obviously, the game in Mississippi State, the game at home against Tennessee, those are going to be quad one games. You know, even if they those two programs have tremendous downturns toward the end of the season, those will most likely remain in the quad run, the quad one sector. Then you look at things like an at Florida and that at home game against Auburn. Florida probably remains a quad one on the road. Auburn right now is quad two. That could go up to quad one, but it's quad two right now. Vanderbilt will obviously be quad three, even though they've won some games. They're really, they're really bad over the course of the season, and that's going to stay put. At Arkansas is going to be quad one. Kentucky is one in seven in quad one games this year. So to your point, I have very limited faith that Kentucky will able, be able to pick off even two of these games. You know, I, like, at, I fully expect them to lose at Mississippi State on Wednesday, mm. just based on the vibes of both teams, Mississippi State surging, Kentucky still looking lost, Kentucky on the road this year, still a Tennessee game aside, still showing a lot of signs of weakness, a lot of signs of poor late-game execution. And then, I guess, while I'm here, I might as well mention a Kentucky Fish and Wildlife post-game show. They're going to be playing Wednesday night, obviously, at Mississippi State. We'll have James Strebel, Jason Entz on for the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife post-game show. Calls, texts, John Calipari, players, more. All of it coming Wednesday night around 10.30 p.m., ESPN 680, 105.7, and the ESPN Louisville app. And then the Tennessee game this weekend, I have no clue what to expect. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was so seamless. Oh, please. You got you, that was that, that was broad broadcast quality right there, my man. Good don't, job. Don't flatter Good me job. more, please, please. <laughs> I did a couple I did a couple of radio shows at Indiana. I kind of know what to do. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, so and then in Tennessee on Saturday, no clue what team shows up, right? And I don't know how much of what team shows up on Saturday is dictated by the team that shows up on Wednesday night. Is this a team that loses to Mississippi State, finds some kind of way to galvanize itself, right? Show up on a big occasion, on a you know remembrance occasion when the 96 through 98 teams are being honored and puts forth a big performance against a rival at home? Or is it a team that after losing in Mississippi State continues to fall flat, continues to feel sorry for itself and loses that game? And, I mean, if I had to put a number on it, I think they win three of the games the rest of the way. Does three three wins out of the last six, and let's say they win a couple games in the SEC tournament, does that get them into the NCAA tournament? I don't think so. 
I, th- yeah. I think three. If they go three and three, the rest of the regular season and the games that I'm focusing on them winning, I think they will win at Florida. I think they will win at home against Auburn, and I think they will win at home against Vanderbilt. Mm. And those are probably three of the worst games you could circle because that's not a road win at Mississippi State. That's not another win over Tennessee. That's not a road win at Arkansas. So I think they'll go three and three. I think they'll win maybe a game or two in the SEC tournament. But if they're going three and three with those wins that I have them penciled in for, I think you got to make the SEC tournament final. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. What's I, your, what's I, your I, read? Yeah, I, I, probably the same. I mean, as I said, given the way that they've played the last couple of games, I, I, I can't feel good about any of them, really. I mean, I, going to, you know, I know they had with eight minutes to go in the game Saturday before last, they had a 14-point lead against Florida. But to your point, they don't do a very good job closing out games, and I think the final margin was five. If you only beat Florida by five at home, I don't know how you can feel good about, you know, going to Gainesville to play that team down there. Although, you know, they may be going south too, given the fact that Vandy just won there. So, um, but no, I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I, 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 I sure don't see them winning four out of six uh, or, or five out of six, which would, I think, get them into the NCAA tournament. I don't see that happening at all. And also, what confidence would you have, not only for Kentucky making an SEC, turn, or SEC tournament run, which doesn't happen super often, but no. also Kentucky kind of taking, just the idea of Kentucky taking care of business in an early round SEC tournament game. Let's say they play Georgia again, for example. What confidence would you have in them beating a team that they're quote-unquote supposed to beat at an early stage of the SEC tournament. At mm-hmm. this point, for me, it's kind of zero. And that doesn't mean they can't win that game or they don't have the talent or the ability to. It's just from what they've put on display, what they've shown this season, I have no reason to, to back Kentucky in any kind of a consistent, take-care-of-business, workman-like kind of way. Yeah. Have, have we heard anything recently about Wheeler or Frederick's availability? Not sure. I believe at 11.30 today, so in about 30, 32 minutes, uh, we'll have Chin Coleman uh, at the media room and Memorial Coliseum in Lexington. So maybe Chin will be able to shed some light on their availability status for Wednesday night. I'll I'll let you know if anyone reports back to me from the presser. Okay. All right. Um, If, in fact, Fredericks does have a cracked rib, I've had broken ribs before. I don't know how you play basketball with a broken rib. It's 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 very, very painful. Have you uh, Cam, have you followed uh, any of the U of L's basketball season? (laughs) Any of the season? Yes, actually. I've actually watched, I believe, two of their three wins. I was actually in person. I was at the Yum Center for the latest win, the the only ACC win, the Georgia Tech win. I went oh, to wow. I went to the game with a friend. I paid cash money for that ticket, Dan. I paid money to watch Louisville basketball play this season. <laughs> you probably didn't have to spend too much money. Yeah, we actually we got pretty good seats, you know, for not too much money. Lower bowl, 
you know, right, you know, the flashing lights when when Joker and the thief plays just shining right on you. You felt like you were on the court, basically. But you know, earlier when you were doing that, at, you know, doing the, all the praise and, and thank you so much for saying what you said about subscribing to the Herald Leader and supporting what we do at Kentucky.com. If you do that, that money goes to people like me spending it on things like Louisville basketball. So maybe that's going to stop people from subscribing. But yeah, so so I've kept up with Louisville a good deal, and especially just having a lot of friends in Louisville and the the Kentuckyana Kentuckyana area or area, excuse me, and talking with Jack. Yeah, I've unfortunately watched uh, probably more Louisville basketball than I should have this year. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, coming back in the in the second hour, we'll talk about uh, Louisville basketball. And Saturday night, we're going to raise the 2013 banner to the rafters. We'll get Cam's opinion on the that. The funniest thing ever. <laughs> when you're ready to explore the outdoors, there's no better place than the Bluegrass State. Hike forest trails, paddle through clear waters, enjoy a horseback ride, or simply soak up the sights and sounds of nature. This is Kentucky. Come see for yourself. Plan your getaway today at KentuckyTourism.com. Metro College is a program that helps students pay for tuition, and I didn't believe it. You have to work third shift, five days a week. It's a great and rewarding thing when you graduate. I would do it all over again, just like I just did. You know those buddies who magically become medical professionals when you're not at the top of your game? The ones who say, come on, muscle through it. But then also say, hey, you should probably see my specialist. Or surgery or pain meds. It's almost always false, false, and false. Athletico's physical therapists, the same therapists who work with professional athletes, can tackle those little aches and pains from the start before they become big ones. So next time, don't believe everything you hear. Instead, start with Athletico. Schedule your free assessment at athletico.com. 